Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What's up, guys? Uriah Faber here. Just about to do this interview. Mr. Faber. Mr. Faber in the house. I've done interviews with those guys plenty of times in the past, and uh, always a good time, man. You guys have a weird drink? I've got a weird drink and I've got an unopened bottle. This is what it looks like when Andre the Giant would hold a, a beer can or a full. We don't care. Here, talk shop and have a good time. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Let's get this. Let's get it. Service Diaries. Let's go, baby. Whoop, whoop. Well, there are three dads in this room. Two of them are washed and one of them is an MMA legend. Can you figure <laughs> out which one's which? It's Brian Campbell, Luke Thomas, and this, Welcome to Room Service Diaries, is Uriah Faber. Uriah Faber, everybody. A round of applause. Let's hear for him. Let's Thanks hear for, for him. inviting me to your room. That's kind yes, of weird. Yeah. Yes, welcome to our room. Yo, we class things up. At least man. there's one girl in here. You guys are pretty standard for you guys. You got one, two, three, four, five, yes. six. Seven guys, one girl. No big deal. You know, I we had Michael Chiesa on this couch, and... You know, he might be a great fighter, but he's a dirt hole proper like one of us. We yeah. classed it up with Mr. Faber right now. Yeah, he's now. better hey, than you us. You know what I'm saying? How you doing, Uriah? <laughs> I've been good, man. Dude, you stay busy. You're it's yes. just from one lane to the next, but it's just a switch. It never seems to slow. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wired like that. I feel like I need to just keep things moving, and um, I'm, I get antsy if I don't have enough going on. And the kids... Dude, congratulations. You have, you have, I mean, you put them on social media. I see. You have a beautiful, beautiful family. Beautiful Thank family, you. man. Thank That's you. Just... It's, it's been a lot of fun, man. Those kids are the best. So, uh, Rome is now 20, a little over 20 months, and Callie's, you know, three years and a couple months. And yeah, but you were telling Luke, running the show. and this will break his heart again. I know. That since you've had, became a dad, your wife uh, gave By the birth. way, I just want to point out, before you, you finish, he's the only dad I've ever heard this from. You I, I believe him, but it's better just crazy. sleep now. I mean, yes. Luke can't keep his daughter out of his room. You know, Luke, <laughs> some people have given tips, like maybe just put that foot down. <laughs> yeah, these people can shut the fuck up. Okay. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> See, we put our daughter down in the other room, but I don't want to lock the door, so she does the whole Velociraptor Jurassic Park bit, yeah. turns the knob, and then she comes into the bed at 2 a.m., and then she just, you know, it's kung fu fighting. She's kicking and punching. That's you guys great. don't have to deal with any of that? I, I actually, they, they're still co-sleeping for the most part, so if, if they don't go down with me, They'll go in their own beds and then come in with me, yeah. but I'm fine with it. And so uh, yeah, that's what helped. But I was, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I get more sleep now than I ever did because, like you said, I'm going all the time. My brain, it's hard to shut off. And I just, I get, maybe I have just a more of an ease about, like, like a more contentness going you're on. You're happy. Yeah, dude, you're On happy. top of, like, less of a hustle and more, less, not, not less ambitious, but um, just makes you prioritize things better. Yeah. And so I can sleep better. I'll pass out. It's terrible for my teeth because, like I said, I pass out without <laughs> brushing my teeth all the time. You see, too. And my, I told my dentist, I'm like, dude, I've, we need to like do something about this. <laughs> but uh, it's been great, man. 
it's been awesome. And times it's change, awesome. Uriah, but you're timeless, dude. And I like, you know, you you came in with the gimmick and it worked and it was who you are. You're still that dude, man. I mean, you're not far removed from still being a very competent UFC fighter at the same time. It's like there is something ageless about your longevity. You still have that youthful spirit. I mean, you there's a cheat code into your genetics. Yeah. Somehow, you know? <laughs> Maybe I think it's, uh, it's for my parents. My my dad is like Mr. Happy Go Lucky, you know. I always I get more jokes about the fifty year old skateboarder than anything from uh, you know since Conor McGregor said that. And I was like, my dad, he's sixty nine, but he's more the fifty year old retired skateboarder. Love it. Well, so. look, well, look. Part of my times change joke was that you know PC standards change. We have to correct and update. And obviously, dude. We're like the same age here, so the California kid may have to go despite his branding potential. I'm I'm going to be 44 in July, okay? So I'm an old piece of shit. So I'm thinking we just graduate to the California dad, no harm, no foul. Team Alpha male, great gym, but in this day and age, we may have to go Team Alpha non-binary gender, and I think that'll work on a t-shirt. I already changed it. It's Team Alpha MMA. Oh, that's right. And we've got... uh, The website still says Team Alpha male, right? Well, the Instagram, you can't change the Instagram. I mean, you lose your, it, yeah, you your lose badge. your thing. Yeah. But uh, it's Team Alpha MMA. There it is. We have alpha males, we have alpha females, we have alpha whatever you are. There it is. It's changing yeah. with the times, but still the same. Right? Yeah. Do you ever, are you, I was thinking about this the other day, are you glad you came up in the era of MMA you came up in? Because you look at MMA today, and it's just, it's unrecognizable from when you got yeah. in it. Um, obviously, you had a ton of success. It was hardly some failed venture. But I guess I'm wondering, now that you see it from an older perspective and how everything's changed, would you want to be starting out in this era, or are you glad you started out in the era that you did? Um, from, from a monetary standpoint, I see both sides of it. Obviously, getting the prize, being the best fighter in the world at this point in, in, in mixed martial arts space, it would be the ideal thing to do it now. But I was also a pioneer back then, so I got to experience everything that's happened in MMA and have businesses along the way and I've worn every type of hat that makes me like a real expert. I've been, uh, you know, the poster boy. I've been the champion, the contender, like had slides. I've been a manager. I've owned clothing companies. I've done, uh, you know, entertainment stuff and and all along the way, you know, I'm managing guys. So, you know, had multiple gyms and and so I've learned so much, and for me that was pretty valuable in the big scheme of things. So I'm glad. I'm, no, no regrets. No regrets. Not even well, one dude, letter. <laughs> we call a lot of people a legend, and sometimes they're not a legend. We just heard one of our guys in the background go, you know, Rio I was the first, t- first guy I really gravitated towards when I first started watching he's MMA. A, he's, a, and, he's a Showtime boxing guy. And so many people still say that today. So, like, I mean, do you kind of get off on that? Like, yo, I was kind of like... A day one, you were the first star of the of the lower weight classes for sure in MMA. But like you were people's entry point into this game across the board. Did, does that still resonate with you? It does. I mean, I hear that a lot, especially for like females or old older women. Like like my mom loved you, like that kind of mm. thing. Like like seven year old women. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool, I guess. You know, not <laughs> ideal, but uh, I I was friendly enough and said hi to my mom enough and. I never got bloodied up or gory, on my side at least. Um, maybe that was part of it, but uh, I think the history of, of how the WC was resurrected from a show on the Indy Casino to bought by UFC Zufa basically, and then it was to free TV, and then I was the the hot ticket 100% at that time. Face of it, yeah. and, and they had just re- rebranded the Outdoor Channel to Versus, and the, and so it was went from like. 
people rowing boats in the ocean and bike riding to like this combat show. And so Versus was promoting just WC cage fighting and they didn't have much of the programming at the time. And then I was the main guy there. So my fights were playing all the time for free. And that wasn't the case back then with the UFC. It was like a lot of pay-per-view cards and, and it was like harder to get a hold of. So my fights were just playing and playing and playing. So I think that helped out a lot too. Also, yeah, I wanted to jump, jump in and not sure. lose this moment. When you were that guy 15 years ago, the face of, of non-heavyweight MMA, the face of the WEC, like was it hard not to start living the rock star, rock star lifestyle and, and, and you know drinking your own juice at that point? I, mean, I know you're probably not making the money that allowed you to, to say fuck you, but at the same time, like, did you live it up outside of the cage? Well, I don't, you probably know this story, but but at the time, you know, I was nose to the grindstone. It wasn't like like I'm out. And I remember I had a buddy, my one of my best friends, who's like biggest supporter, big hater. Like he'd be, like, he was. In, he, we lived together when I lost the title for for Mike Brown, and he like gave me the silent treatment in, in the own in my own house. Like that's wow. how much he loved me, but also was emotionally a mess and so as a married man <laughs> yeah, look, we know that we, we've been yeah, through that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so he's like I'd be like see him in the hallway at the house and he's like what's up I'm like, that's a little off. shitty though right well he, it wasn't his fault he's emotionally you know wasn't right couldn't handle that I had lost and okay. whatnot. so uh, you know at that time he was telling me you need to go to this gym and you need to go to that gym and you need to do this and you need to do that and, and for me I was just like I'm, I'm building it here you know I'm, I'm going to be here and, and create something that is bigger than me. And that was more my focus that time. It wasn't about like going and living it up. I was like building a team and building a, uh, you know, setting the rubrics for what, what it is now or the, the, you know, the team that we have now and the, the setting that we have across the globe. I mean, the, the team is known across the world, you know, in Japan and China and Brazil. Uh, our team is one of the biggest teams on the planet. So I'm pretty proud of that. I mean, they didn't have DMs back then, but like, you know, the, 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 they were probably knocking. They were probably knocking on the is door. It, Look, let's be fair. Okay. Uh, to be fair, I've never had an issue with females, you know. Okay. And in okay. junior high, high school, it wasn't like, it was like a weird thing. So it wasn't like all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, now there's a bunch of females. I'm, I was focused. Right, we can't imagine a, a reality like that for ourselves. Why do these nerds always change. ask me the same question? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it just never really changed. Right, see, for us, it would, it would be a big difference. You see what I'm saying? Well, see, yeah, all right. Well, I was able to stay focused. Yes, I understand that. It's interesting that you never left Sacramento. There are certain guys, like Greg Jackson was like, I'm in Albuquerque, yeah. you're in Sacramento. Some of the guys from South Florida were from there. Obviously, they have a lot of transplants. Was there ever a time where you ever got close to being like, maybe I need to... Not... Why was Sacramento such a gravitating pull for you? I know you're from there, obviously, but like so many people uproot and go to where the action is. You kind of just made the action yeah. in Sacramento. Why was that important for you? Um, you know, it's funny the way you are. You, you have a pride about where you come from from a young person. I remember, you know, and I didn't have a lot of money growing up, but uh, I enjoyed myself. You know, my dad would drop us off, he'd go to work, he'd drop us off at a pond or a river and, and, and we'd hang out and like the whole day until he got off work and um, you know, I'm just familiar with the whole place and so you always have this pride about where you're from and then it, there's a time when you start making a name for yourself where the town appreciates you back and then it really makes sense of why you, why you stick to your roots a lot of times and it's the same with you know, the people you surround yourself with. You don't go and I remember Dana White and, and Frank uh, Lorenzo Fertitta would sit down with, with guys that they knew they were going to throw into the limelight 
and say, hey, don't drop your, don't drop your friends, don't do this, don't do that, because that happens a lot. People think they need to change everything up. Um, there's some, you know, the people I, I surround myself with are some of my best friends from elementary school, from, from high school, from, from college, and, mm. and from my MMA journey. Um, and that's important. That's, that's grounding. And I it just never appealed to me to go change everything up. Did any other, to what extent were any other forces, gyms or businesses or whatever, trying to recruit you out of Sacramento at any point during your journey? You know, I, there's like, if you wanted to go pursue entertainment, being out in LA would be good. I actually had uh, a place out in LA for a couple years and at the right time where I was Literally, uh, I was a ball on a budget I, I, on that time for sure. I had a, uh, there's a jet service called Surf Air, and one of my business buddies had, had like pre-bought in a corporate deal with it, and he could apply a couple of the people. So for like 500 bucks a month, I had a jet service <laughs> out of Sacramento. And my other buddy had a place at uh, the W Hotel, uh, Paul Schoen, and I had stayed there after one of my fights, after I fought Scotty Jorgensen here. Um, we were trying to save the Kings, and we did a tour into L.A. I stayed at his place, and I was like, hey, man, how much would it cost to upgrade this to, like, the badass one, like, over the pool? And he's like, I don't know, I'll look into it. It was, like, 1100 bucks extra on top of what he was paying, and it was fully furnished and everything. And so then I bought my brother-in-law's Chevy Nova for 7500 bucks. It was a badass car, but just an old junker, you know? And so I had like a jet service for 500 bucks a month. I could just get on a plane and go to, go to LA, go to Santa Barbara, Damn. go to Las Vegas, go whatever. They had flights daily. I had a, like a badass car. It, was, it cost me 7,500 bucks in LA. And I had a, a pimp ass hotel like at the 1600 Vine with like Logan Paul and all those guys. They were all there at that time making their names. Mm. And, uh, and so I got my little taste of being out there. And I lived out here in Vegas for coaching the Ultimate Fighter three times. Um, Jesus. Once against Dom, once against Connor, and then helping uh, uh, Cody Garban out. So, uh, and I've done traveling all over the world. It's not like I haven't seen the world, you know. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I've got a place in Mexico. I've got a place on the northern coast. But I just like home. Going back to WEC for a second, who's the Mount Rushmore? Of, of like the romanticized look back at what that meant to watching like MMA who are the top four WC time. dogs? You know, who do you think, you know, whether it's their personality or their performance in the cage or, or whomever, like, should be up there? You, you're up there, dude. You're up there. You're the okay. face. Um, probably Anthony Pettis, Cowboy Cerrone, and, and Jose Aldo. That's, yeah, that's not okay. bad. Okay, there's a couple other names. See, here's the thing. That's I, not bad. That's it's not bad, but I would, I, maybe you got to make some room because... The first time I remember I got friends to watch non-UFC MMA with me was your fight with Pulver. Oh, yeah. The Pulver fight. And that fight yeah. was record-breaking for WEC. Yeah. So I don't know if you could put Pulver on the WEC mantle in the same way you could for Cerrone and Pettis. Well, the one thing is, I mean, Pulver needs to be in the UFC Hall of Fame. Right. I just saw somebody tweet about this because... He was the first UFC champion at 155 pounds. Beat Penn. Beat Penn. Damn. Beat what? Did he beat Cal Uno too? I, I can't remember who all who all he beat, but he was knocking dudes out. And then he went and had a boxing career. And then he they brought him into the WC, but he was a UFC guy. So I don't think he he's he's on the WC, but he should definitely be on the UFC, on the mark. But if you, let's see, Showtime, Pettis, 
It'd Cowboy. be Cerrone. How, Jose Aldo. And it has to be Aldo. Aldo. You guys yeah. put Aldo yeah. in there as well. Yeah. Isn't, isn't it amazing he is still going? I know Cowboy's still going. It's amazing how young he is. I know. But see, like, it's like, it's like okay, Pettis is kind of doing this thing in the PFL. Maybe he'll win this tournament. I don't know. But, you know, yeah. he's losing and winning up and down a lot. Cowboy, yeah. I, I think it's fair to say, is probably pretty close to retirement. Yeah. Dude, Aldo is still giving these young bucks problems. At a lower, yeah. at a lower weight. At, at a that lower age, weight man. class. Right? Uh, I love that guy. I always said I thought he was the best pound for pound guy in. You know, Connor derailed him quickly, but for 12 years he was undefeated in that time. And between his gifts as an athlete, his focus, uh, talk a guy that stuck to his roots, you know. How hard is it to fight him, dude? Because you fought him at your peak. Yeah. And, and, and that's when he was also incredible. What was it like where you're just like, fuck, man, this guy really is that good? You well, know? you know, they were saying a big thing about the speed. I, I felt like I was faster than him in the fight. And... And in the first round, I feel like I was I was doing really well. And as soon as he got a taste of that, and he just went right to the to the leg kicks. to the leg kicks. Yeah. And I literally I sat down in the corner after the first round, and I remember I knew that the leg kicks were going to hurt, and I had a, I was going to try to push kick instead of check most of them. Um, worked on that a lot and like moving my leg out of the way. But there was a huge like softball uh, like hematoma after the first kick. And I couldn't bend my leg very well, and Damn. so I was like, "What the fuck? I wasn't, I wasn't factoring that in, you know? Like <laughs> that changed like, the strategy a little bit. Yeah, like like, yeah. He, like his kick will change your body and your body's function. And so, uh, in retrospect, I I probably should have done a lot more checking and less getting out of the way and push kicking. It's funny because you know, we're, at the time we're recording this, it's UFC two seventy six fight week, and so there's this debate about like, oh, is is Volkanovski or is Max going to win? And obviously the winner, by some people's estimation, would be the featherweight goat. But I actually asked Max about, Max, excuse me, Max about that, and Max said, no, it's still Aldo by a landslide. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think it's Aldo. I mean, look, even the fact that Volkanovski and Max, there was no doubt when Aldo was the man that he was the man for that stint. Mike Brown, he was legit guy. You know, amazing coach now. People don't know how good he was at WC. Yeah, he killer. Was, he Just was very Mike, good. Mike Brown, he, if, if Mike Brown was a little more outspoken, you know, he'd be one up there, you know, one of the guys that everyone's talking about. You know, understated guy, but Aldo took him out like that, you know, and he was a tough guy. And, um, took out a lot of guys like that. Yeah. Was it Cub Swanson? He yep, took out with the double knees. Double nine knees. Nine seconds or something. Yo, double that, knees. That one Mendes fight, he fucking steamed. I know the yeah. second fight was great, but the first one. The first one, yeah. Yeah, and Mendez, the, the second one was friggin', that was awesome. But, uh, yeah, so I think so. Okay, nevertheless, though, I want to talk a little bit more about what you're doing today. So I noticed there was some big news, at the again, at the time of this recording. It was yesterday I saw, I think it was Evelyn uh, Rodriguez had reported that you are now managing Devison Figueredo. Yeah. That's correct, right? Yeah. How did that come about? So, um... I don't know how many people know my, my story or whatnot, but I started MMA Inc., which is one of the top management companies for a lot of years, managed Anthony Pettis and TJ Dillashaw and, and Chad Mendez and Chael Sonnen and, um, and myself and you know uh, Joseph Benavides, Scotty Jorgensen, and the whole gambit back in the day. We were one of the largest management companies for years. And uh, my partners, Jeff Meyer and Mike Roberts, decided to wrap it up around the time uh, they took sponsorships out of the UFC right. and it was just not fun for them anymore. And at that time I still had a need for functioning management partners. <clears throat> and, 
and I stayed helping guys like Josh Emmett out and a few picked, hand-picked people that, that were on our t- team so that I was still helping out with on the management side. But um, I, I was the founder of that company before anyone knew who I was. I started managing guys back with uh, you know, um, Scott, Scott Smith and, and James Irvin back in the UFC. <laughs> James Irvin, I haven't yeah. heard that name in a while. Yeah. <clears throat> James Irvin's the man. He works for me at UFC gym, runs both my gyms. He's, he's is he still it. jacked as shit? He's Yo, the scary he guy. <laughs> People don't give him respect to this no. day. As being his, like flying, uh, his flying knee knockout of Terry Martin still stands uh, the test of time. I've got that picture up in our, our UFC gym, uh, Rockland. James Irvin, like understated guy, does, does mitts all day. Runs a whole crew of, of people that, that he oversees, and, and he's a killer. But anyway, so I, you know, I was I was doing that management for a lot of years, and once that died out, I I really needed help, and so I've been doing a bunch of different things. And I met up with uh, uh, the Vayner Group, mm-hmm. you know, AJ Vaynerchuk mm-hmm. and uh, and Gary V. Everybody knows Gary V. And they're such a professional team. Lloyd Pearson is is running the uh, the MMA segment of that he he has josh emmett and he has uh song yudong and myself and and so i work with them as a team and figure figueredo is uh is a guy that's trained with us in the past because cody was dropping to 125 um it was kind of an awkward time to have him come back because uh, he'd been making you know short stints down to train with us and we always had a great relationship and so um when he said he needed help and and my 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 jiu-jitsu instructor and longtime coach and, and also someone that helps manage the Brazilian side of our team, uh, Fabio Prado, said he wanted to talk to me. I said, yeah, absolutely, and we had a great talk, and um, I think he's got a lot of potential and, and, and could do some big things, and, and so I'm happy to have me as, as part of the team that's going to help out a world champion get, you know, get his. One of the things that was brought up to my attention, in, at least in reports in the media, and again, take those for what they're worth, was that he had some issues with, uh, he wasn't getting paid enough. And I saw some of the payouts that he got, and they were <clears throat> surprisingly paltry. Now that you're on the management side, having already been on the fighting side, I'm going to ask this sort of broadly. Yeah. Not, not even so much about Devison per se. What is the solution to increasing fighter pay? You know... I, you mean it's not crypto? <laughs> yeah, not right now. Okay, sorry. Um, well, first off, the pay has gone up tremendously since back in the day, as you know. But we need leverage. I think with more um, legitimate shows coming up, with with more options, even the fact that like Habib's got his Eagle promotion, he's actually paying guys decent. And then you've got the the PFL, which is kind of a partnered with the UFC. It seems like with the, on the ESPN side, we've got. Um, but they're fighting for big dollars. You've got One FC. You've got Bellator. Uh, but I think more than that, it's it's got to be intelligence on the fighter side because you can be making a little bit of money and not go over your skis on 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 you know, how you're spending your money. When you have to fight because you're broke, that's when you're fucked, right? And so when when we get these fighters to understand how to not be broke, <laughs> then we can really have the leverage on their side because then they don't have to fight as much. And I think. Maybe like saying but, no to potential offers, like oh I'm no. Gonna... I mean, is there mandatory yes. UFC training at the PI in this in this category that that could, that needs to happen to help this? I mean, it would be nice. I I I wouldn't think that. I mean, the UFC is all about educating their guys. Um, I think it's generational, unfortunately, and and you can teach people like 
for my team, you talk to Chad Mendez, you talk to Cody, probably even TJ, uh, and, and the list goes on, Josh Emmett. Like, we've discussed this kind of thing as a team for a lot of years, and that's part of what's made us unique. You know, guys have, Joseph Benavides has uh, a little real, real estate portfolio, and, and you know, like... And I know Chad has the <clears throat> fins and feathers Fins thing. and feathers, gills and thrills, Clay Guida, like, uh, Josh Emmett's got a bunch of different things and, 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 and understands how to, you know, how to not go broke. You know, I think, I think there's an education process, <clears throat> and that will help. The second thing is... Um, people knowing their worth. And I think, like, like for uh, Figgy, for example, he's out in the jungle in Brazil. Um, it, it, people maybe just surrounding him or helping him were probably just not thinking big enough. That sounds like a lot of money to them, whatever he was getting. Oh, my gosh, it's more money than he's ever seen. But in the big scheme of things, like, could he live in L.A. for... For six months with that money, I don't think you'd live in LA for a long weekend with that. Money, <laughs> yeah, money, <huh>? Dana couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, he's a. By the way, you know this already. Figueroa's a savage. What he did, and you know about being staying relevant at an advanced age. What he did at 34 in a trilogy against a guy who just finished him to win back the championship. I don't think that people look at that close enough to see in a lower weight class. That's that's not normal to see that. Yeah, I mean that guy is not normal though. If you if you touch him, he's he feels like steel. Dude, those and, weigh-ins, I'm like, yeah. there's there's like an unhealthy lack of fat. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can't believe someone can look like that. You it's know? crazy. He's a savage. He's an and, absolute. And savage. That's the acai man. We're bringing it to America. You guys <laughs> want to look like that? Cali acai is coming to you. Let me circle back though. So <laughs> what, two of the major things that get talked about MMA media and among fans as well and, and fighters too is there's two major proposed solutions to not just fighter pay, but let's speak to the larger leverage, the lack of uh, power balance between, or the imbalance, I should say, between, let's say, management and talent. <laughs> one would be an MMA union, and there's been many attempts. They've all failed dramatically. And then the second one would be extending the Muhammad Ali Boxing Reform Act to MMA. Let's start with the union. In theory, because mm -hmm. practice is a different matter, in theory, are you in favor of a union? I've thought about this a lot like which route I would like to go. I mean, I do like, like in the entertainment side, like the unions help out a lot. It also can get really weird and it makes things more even. I don't know if it, if it makes for the same ability to have the superstar, um, probably does. I would think, yeah, that would be, that would be good if it was done wisely. Um, and people have tried and have been trying for a long time. You need a strong leader though. That's the thing, a, a strong Yeah, one. you do need a strong leader, but you need a strong leader and then you need billionaires behind the strong leader yeah. because money wins out on these big confrontations. And, and the rare thing with, with the UFC is you had guys that love, love, love the sport, the Fertitta brothers and Dana White who are passionate about the sport and that's all they're into. And then they had the resources. You can maybe match the resources, but you're not gonna match the passion of those guys. Like they built this thing. That's the hard part there. On the Muhammad Ali Act, that would be a huge key, but it only becomes a big key once the UFC has done their job. Because where are the big stars in any other organization? Right? There aren't any big stars in any other organization. I mean, you could say there are, but there aren't. Right, but the idea would be, like, this is how we got to the four-belt era. It's every time someone who was legitimized fought someone who had the belt that wasn't, that then legitimized it, and so the way would be to open it up and then that cross legitimization then adds more stars across yeah, the board. Yeah, I think that's the key is if we get that, that Muhammad Ali Act 
that would be the best thing. But, um, and, and so those that don't know, the Muhammad Ali lock basically just puts every match up for bid. So John Jones and DC are going to fight again. Then that would go to bid to every promoter, and every promoter would have an, an opportunity to be the host of that. And when, in, in turn, to get the, the fighters to come with them, they're going to have to give more to the fighter and less to them, and that's the way boxing is. So boxing gets to bid on these fights, and they go, okay. You could still be tied to a promoter, though. It would just be much shorter contracts. Right. That's the other part, too. You could just have... Well, the whole point is yeah. you get an automatic negotiation. Yes. And if you can't negotiate, you go to a bid. So, you go to you a know. bid, yeah. So, yeah, so it, it changes the dynamic, and that would be great. And, and there's powers fighting that, and there's powers fighting for it. Who has more money and more passion? That's who's winning right now. Hmm. So what is it, in terms of being on the management side, when you think about, let's say Figueroa, and I, I don't expect you to give away his contract details, but I'm just yeah. thinking strategically, when you think about, okay, how do I get this guy more money? From the management perspective, what is your major task? What do you have to do? I think first you just have a real conversation with, um, with the UFC brass. I mean, they have to know <laughs> what standard, and a guy's fought four fights and, for titles, and he's getting paid this. I mean, it's not like a secret that what's going on. And, and there, I don't know if his manager in the past has ever been able to sit and talk to Dana or talk to Hunter or, or even Mick and, and say, guys, this is not fair. Um, I would start with that because I've got a good relationship there. Um, you know, with, with Lloyd, he, he has a pretty good uh, roster of people that he's drawing from and has worked with throughout the years where there's been big contracts done. So you've seen the backside of things and, and the Vayner group behind it. They're definitely thinking big, you know, it's not like, Hey, our world champion is getting, you know, a hundred grand. It's like, okay, that's weird. <laughs> that's weird. Really. Isn't it's it? Super weird. It's super strange. And, yeah. and I think the UFC knows that. And so we'll just have a conversation to start. This is all brand new. Um, Figgy's on his way here from Brazil right now. You know, sunglasses and belt on. Shirtless on the plane, definitely. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, you know, living it up on the, on the plane right here. But, um, you know, I think it starts with a real conversation of, guys, it's not fair. And go from there. Uh, you, you're, you seem to be doing this from a good place to help the sport. And I really respect that because you're using your brand and your leverage to give back. But you're also able to now be a, a manager or whatever. So do you get as motivated to sit across the negotiation table from Dana or whatever thing you're doing on the business side where it is thinking on your feet like in the cage, do you sort of, have you just kind of graduated competition-wise from fighting to now business in that regard? My, I do not want to be the guy negotiating with Dana and I won't be. Um, I'll be the guy that starts a conversation and, and helps set up a meeting and I'll be there, but I'm, I'm not the key negotiator. I have, uh, you know, a management company that I'm a part of that does that. But do you get amped up for that side of it is really what I'm saying? And the, I get, amped, the chess playing I, I get amped up for business in general. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I've, I'm part of a group uh, called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. We have a mastermind group that we meet once, once a month and I'm learning all the time. I love it. And I've got a lot of things that I'm working on and, and business is hard. Business is, is like the fight game. It really is. And it's not easy. Everybody thinks it's, you know, I've had, I think, 16 gyms spur off of my gym in Sacramento, either members, former employees, former teammates. Uh, and it's just that's, that's, that's the fight game and the business game is like yeah. you're, in, you're in constant battles. <laughs> and so um, 
for me, I, I feel like I really enjoy that process. Negotiating, per se, from a management standpoint, I'm gonna stay in my lane on the management side. I, Lloyd Pearson, AJ, uh, AJ Vaynerchuk, and, and, and Gary Vee, those guys, uh, will be helping with You're a guy that knows a guy. You're a, you're a facilitator, you make it happen, yes, I respect that. In terms of boxing, in boxing, boxing's in a different model, they have different regulations, there's different situations. How would you rate the effectiveness of current, at scale, MMA management? Like, do MMA managers, in general, reasonably actually increase the purse amounts that these guys get? Like, the thing there's actually a question to be asked about that. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, it varies. <laughs> Like far and wide, and I'm gonna like there are some managers that are basically just working for the UFC. Like you know, if you look at contender series, and one manager has forty fighters on the contender series, um, you know, and and his highest paid guy is pretty low. He's basically just bringing in mid level talent, and then there's uh, guys that actually have to go and have hard conversations and uh, with the UFC and and have to you know fight over money and then there's guys that are just happy to get any kind of money like probably some of the guys that uh, that aren't used to business and and haven't seen you know big paychecks and they're like oh man that's a lot of money so it's far and wide some people got their uncles managing them their brothers their girlfriends there's no licensing like to be an NFL agent or you manager should, you actually have to get licensed to do it we had license with MMA Inc and and uh we, we went the right way, but yeah, most people are not doing it correctly. Right. You have to have insurance. You have to have all that kind of stuff. Most people are not doing it correctly. And, and so there's guys that, and you know, it is relationships. So then there's people that are scared of ruining their relationship to get their new fighter in versus going to bat for the fighter that needs to get their money now. And it's a hard balance, I would imagine, for, for some of these guys who their bread and butter is just bringing in as much talent as possible versus fighting for the for the mighty dollar and you know you need both. So what what's like your management goal? Like what do you feel like you want to get out of this experience? Like say if I talk to you in 5 years, yeah. what would be an ideal 5 year scenario for you? You know, I would like my guys to be first off educated about taxes, about uh, you know, being smart with your money, about their value of what they're actually worth, have an idea of what is the current market value, um, and then I want to make sure my guys are getting getting the most, getting the best. In terms of like everything, purses or whatever, purses, uh, outside opportunities, um, their own. Some people have creative juices, like like an Andre Feely, for example, is a guy that has a super creative knack, and so he's got all these things that uh, that he wants to do and. You know, he's got his clothing, he's he got act. his music, he's got acting, and you know, he does <laughs> Please, commentary. I'm waiting to make that transition. Kind of <laughs> then there's other guys, like Mike Brown, for example, who knows the sport, keeps himself, isn't an outspoken guy, and now he's, you know, coach of the year. Right? Those are two various things. Like, Feely will probably have an entertainment in the limelight type of pathway, and Mike Brown already has a behind-the-scenes pathway. You were going to say? I want to talk about your one of your projects you have invested in that Andre Touchy Feely did a great job acting in. It was 2020's Green Rush, which yeah, I'm yeah. not doing a bit here. You, you can find it, I think it's streaming right now on uh, a few different sites, but 
It's a weed thriller. Yeah. It's violent as shit. It's it's, it's a yeah. it's a great watch. But when the movie opens, this motherfucker's voice is like, yes, latest me. trends in California. Yeah, our yeah, our yeah, wheat fields are growing. Yeah. How does that end up happening? That this guy's in the movie that you financed. That movie. So I have a production company. We do. Uh, we've got a bunch of stuff we're working on, but. Um, Jared Roxburg, I met him, he's my partner. I met him on the Ultimate Fighter set, you know, over a decade ago. And we just have a lot of ties in on the MMA space. And, and the, we had the writer, uh, one of the writers was also the main character, Telfer, the, the bad guy. He was awesome yeah, in that he film. Was nuts. Like... Um, we had uh a bunch of the people involved were helping on the set we we we, we you paid him in weed i know you paid him in weed i did not pay him in weed no <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know we shot the whole thing on one one place and it was the movie was in a one day setting so it was from dusk to dawn so that was a little bit easier and uh we just pulled our resources People with talent. This it, guy's got it, a voice. It huh? was uh, it face was, for radio. They say. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was your. I think it's a mutual uh, acquaintance of ours, friend uh, Rick Lee. Yeah. He hit me up. He was like, "Can you do this?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." I didn't think of it. And then the trailer came out. I go. People started hitting me up on social, yeah. uh, and I was like, "What the fuck?" I, I thought he was just using it like. Because you know how it goes. Yeah. People have you record stuff, and maybe it makes it, and maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Or you record a 30-minute interview, and they use five seconds yeah. or whatever. So I didn't know what was going to happen, and there it was. That was kind of funny. And that, that movie was just basically like, my guy Jared's a great director, writer. He's, he's by trade, does editing, and he's been a producer for, 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 for a lot of things. But um, that was him like, hey, let's just make this happen. We threw that thing together. Like, we were writing the script as we got the money together and just wanted to do something. It's like, it's so hard to actually do something in that space. It's like, you have to jump through all these different hoops. And so it was a huge learning process just to get one under our, uh, a feather under our cap of making a movie, selling it to Lionsgate, and, and, and you know, Feely killed it in there, too. Feely's yeah, got a bright good. future. I couldn't, yeah. I, honestly, I was yeah. shocked at how I don't manage Feely, by the way. Okay, he's just, yeah, yeah, he's just a, still a friend. Yeah, but yeah. yeah he's, Nevertheless, he's my boy. He, no, no, he's, he's like right. a father figure to that man. All right, <laughs> maybe so. He does have my he does have my uh, face tattooed on. He didn't tell me because I know I would have tried to talk him out of that. <laughs> so what, how did surprised. you react to that? Because some people would think that's weird, but it's it, that's a gesture right there. Rogan well, always posts on social whenever when someone tattoos their face on him. Yeah, he always tweets or shares yeah. it on social. I mean, it was cool. I mean, honestly, I've given so many guys crap about tattoos in a loving way throughout the years so you have that was right. really hard no I don't have one but um, that's rare you could, I couldn't hate on him on, on, on that front it was just like really cool and for him it wasn't about me it was about what the team meant to his life yeah. and, and obviously I started the team so it wasn't like this is of your right that was a representation of his whole experience on Team Alpha do you ever look back on the on the Dillashaw stuff and I remember at, towards the end when the, the beef was at its peak and then slowly dying just as an observer, literally as a media observer, yeah. even I was exhausted with it. Oh, see, yeah. I'm the opposite. That was like some you WWE no, feud shit. I loved it, dude. Even I was like, man, this I was has... like, when are they going to fight for real? I want one in the cage and one in the street. And it know? seems like everyone's moved on. Everyone's happy. Yeah. He's back. He's doing his thing, whatever. He'll probably get a title shot, depending on how everything goes. When you look back on that whole episode, what lesson do you take from it? Is there one? Yeah, I should have listened to Connor when there he saw wasn't. that snake wiggling. <laughs> no, I, I think my lesson was, look, because of the setting and, it, and really the whole beef between he and I is the misinterpretation of what actually happened. That's, that's my beef, is him saying 
that one thing happened and, and me saying that another thing happened. My thing was that he left the team, him saying I kicked him off the team. And I'm like, it's very obvious what really happened. So I don't like the misinterpretation. I could do without all the beef. And now I try to just just ignore it. I don't need that kind of drama. The people have asked if we're going to fight, and I'm like, unless it's a big friggin' payday, like an extremely big payday, then I don't want that that stress of that, and I don't think he wanted the stress of that. But he was and like yeah, Bobby the Brain Heenan in Cody Garbrandt's corner. Like, it got pro wrestling, Luke. That's probably why you hated it. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I was there to, to support Co- Cody at the time. It was just, it was just, it just seemed never ending and ugly. But it, the weird part I never understood was, and again, I don't even know what to make of the beef anymore because it was so hard to see what's coming and going. But in the end, it does seem like it kind of changed things, at least from the outside perspective, which is to say, Guys, after that, I know you have your core team, and a lot of those guys are just the core team, but it does seem like sometimes people come and go, or they take a new coach here or there, and it doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. It's never been an issue. It's never been an the issue. The issue is if he's leaving, but he's saying he got kicked off the team. That's the whole issue. Yeah, that's, that's the it. issue. Oh, I we've see. always, we've had plenty of people go, Joseph got married, moved out here with Megan. We have Lance. Look, this is, this is something that, that people don't understand. My team is, is, is like America. Right? It's made up of immigrants. Why would you expect and and why would you expect Song to come out here and be on our team and never go somewhere else? It's like he came from friggin' China, doesn't speak any English. <laughs> you know, like why would he be required to stay? Never, never. Yeah. That was their whole thing. That was that was their whole thing. I, I mean, would you text TJ? Like do you guys ever shoot? No, we're not we don't yeah. really talk now. Dwayne Ludwig, Ludwig blocked me on uh, social media. I don't even know what I did. I like the guy. I don't have an issue with it. Yeah. You ever talk to him? You ever see him? You, course, you must cross paths on the coaching side of things. No, that right? was a whole different animal. That yeah. was like a whole separate, separate thing issue. Bef- without the TJ thing, you know? Yeah. No, I don't see him. But you know, go ahead. No, no, you, please. I would have derailed it. I would have been like, That's fine. speaking of, dude, uh, let's talk about him. Your dong is big, man. He's oh, coming yeah. on, you know? Yeah. You are such a fucking worthless you, Thank you. But you have to, you have to thank understand. You're such a worthless I'm glad like, you could tell. Like, I landed that plane like Sully Sullenberger, though. Like, I put that shit right in the bucket. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Goose, it was, some people can't entered tell. the engines, and we just, it's a fucking disaster. No, but in disaster. full seriousness, I, I always look, he was always looked at as your boy. And, yeah. and, and I remember, like, a couple of years ago at International Fight Week, you came up to us and we had the cameras and you were like, you, you got to interview him. You got like, yeah, he's, yeah. and yo, he's shown some real promise in a division full of sharks. Yeah. Where do you think he's at right now in, the, in his progression? I think he can beat anybody. I mean, the one thing I'll say about Song is he's constantly pushing himself to get better. And, uh, you know, right now he's been, he's been going out and doing some, some like cross training jujitsu wise with some high level guys and, um, and he's constantly trying out new uh, fitness regimens because he's trying to push himself. And like he's, you know, he's hungry and he's, uh, he's, you know, got his eye on the prize. He believes it. That was the biggest thing with me is making sure that he believes he's going to be the world champion. And I think he understands now that he's supposed to be the world champ. How, how old is uh, Song Yudong? 24. Jesus, he's just yeah. 24? Yeah. He's a number one fighter under 25 in the world. And then we have Macy Barber and Corey McKenna that were on that list in the top 10 that are on our team as well. Yeah. And we've got a couple other that you're going to know very soon. Kaleo Romero is the guy that I, I, I can call champs, and I'm like, Kaleo's going to be a champ. I bought him a bag you know, three years ago that says the champ. And I've been trying to get uh, Shelby to get him in to fight for three years, and he's 20 five now I think 
Uh, and uh, he's a stud. You guys see him on the Contender Series coming up. When do you think he'll hit his prime? When do you think Song Yudong's going to really... <clears throat> I understand he's getting better all the time and he's yeah. starting to beat really good guys, but I mean, like, not relative to where he stands in the division, well, relative to where he stands at his potential, as possible peak. How far is he from his peak? Well, I think, like, like Figgy, these guys are, sh- like, strong and healthy inside and outside of training. That, for me, is a key. That's, that's one of the things that's helped me stay young is a lifetime of, uh, you know, I'm actually drinking a probiotic right now, Live Cat. This is like a high-level probiotic that's supposed to be like, you know, brain, gut, like in, in, in keeping your body as it was when you were born. You know, that's what our goal is, right? Is, is have the same body as a toddler to a teen to an old guy, uh, and not get, you know, distended and, and if how things go. In there, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what's in here. I'm, I'm just learning about this. I have nothing to do with it yet. We'll see. Uh, you, we brought up Macy Barber real quick. There, something's changed. What has changed inside of her? I think Macy needed. I had a conversation with Macy Barber, and she had done so much changing from this to that to this to that to this to that, and she was getting some bad advice and and just looking at things the wrong way. And I just told her, Macy, the, the, the best you is internal. It's not out here or this coach or am I getting this much work, blah, blah. You know, it's like, are you, are you the one, you know? Do you believe it? Do you do the work? She does the work. She has the skill. A, there's a monster inside of her. Yeah, like oh, she's a beast. And, and um, you know, she's, she had to go out on her own a little bit and she's, you know, got great relationship with her family still, but now is like making her own decisions, and and I think uh, that's been the key for her. When does she start working with you? After the two losses, or maybe around the second one? I'm not sure when her losses were. But, uh, yeah, after that, she she came back, and uh, were you with her for the Maverick fight? That was yeah. Okay, because that's that, a tough I, fight. You could have you yeah. could have scored it against her. It was one of those yeah, like, it was close one, close yeah. fights. But yeah. Maverick is also like her, uh, you know, a dynamic force on the rise. Yeah, so. she's tough too. But um, yeah, for Macy, it's it's basically been that is like, there's no doubt. Like that girl, I was I was giving her crap because, um, I was like, dude, where were you for morning practice? Or I I had something morning call, and she's like, oh, I was on at five thirty. I said you were sleeping in. And she says, no, I was on it. 5.45 with my mind coach or she had a, a personal coach and I go, yeah, right. And then she sent me a screenshot at 5.45 and she's got like two people that she talks to early in the morning that gets her mind straight. She's like, that's a, she's no, on the top that's of... That's ahead of the game right there, right? Oh, she's way ahead of the game on that kind of stuff. Like she's, she's doing all the right things and now it's just got to, you know, just got to come out in the fighting and, and uh, she's, she's right there for the... The chat. It's all the mental, Luke. It's all mental, dude. Yes, yeah. uh, you're a mental midget. Uh, <laughs> how about Mike Malak? Boy, he is yeah. uh, an absolute hammer. Chiseled out of stone. Yeah. He can punch his, people's lights out. Obviously, he's still developing. I mean, he's you know he's he's far from his peak yeah. as well. But yeah, how did he end up in your stables? Mike Malak came about six years ago to to our team, and he was like, first off, trying to cut to 145 pounds for the longest that time. Dude? Yeah, he's a seventy pounder. He hasn't. He's he's not grown taller. He's just like let Sticking himself go out. out. Yeah. And there was a time where he was battling some some injuries. You know, we have our team banquet that we that we have. Uh, you know, giving awards and whatnot. And he was 
the newcomer award back when he came out in Canada. Educated guy, disciplined guy, super skilled. His his brother plays pro hockey. He's he's like comes from a family of athletes, and um, and he took a time where he just decided that he didn't want to hurt anybody and he didn't want to get hurt. He had been having issues with his head and and so he took like a four year hiatus. And in that time, I said, "What do you want to do?" And I molded him or like switched his role into a coach because he's so good at jujitsu and he's so good at stand up and. And so it was like a, a process of, of blending him in because I was like, I don't want to lose this guy as a resource because of, you know, he's got a great attitude. He's, he's you know, so knowledgeable. And so we turned him into a coach. He's, he's cornered a lot of guys in championship fights. And, and then he just got the itch back and was like, I want to fight. He just hit a switch like that, like, I want to fight. And he wanted to fight in the PFL. He's like, I want to go fight in the PFL. I want to go get that million bucks. And I just talked to... Uh, um, what's his name who runs the PFL? The Ray Sefo? Yeah, Ray. Sorry, Ray. I, I talked to Ray. I said, dude. I said, Ray, I tried to get him a lot. He wanted to fight. And he said, oh, he doesn't have enough fights. He hasn't been active enough. And so I said, Malat, we got to get you some fights. And then then we can get you in. And then he switched his mind and said, I want to go to the UFC. I go, all right, let's go. And that's the guy we manage and, and got him this opportunity. And, and it was like, maybe six months after he decided he wanted to fight again where he was in the contender series and, and just putting people's lights put, out. Yeah. Knocking dudes out, submitting people. He had a really high level prospect that he took out that was uh that was on the LFA, I think LFA or CCFC, I can't remember. And was having a tough first round and then and then iced the dude with one punch. Um, and yeah, he's, he's super focused and life is on target for him. How, what's, um, can you give us an update on, it's the forever question for people like me, and maybe he has addressed this, and if he already has, forgive me, Chris Holdsworth. Chris yeah. Holdsworth has been a dynamic talent, but I know he had some neurological issues yeah. related to concussions. I know he is coaching. Yeah. Is it still just that? Yeah, for him, him it is, and he's really taken on business uh, at this point because he's started his own gym. Um, and in Sacramento? In Sacramento, yeah. About, Is it affiliated with you in any way? Uh, other than he's a coach for us still, no. Right. It's, it's Chris Holdsworth. Um, but he's, he's doing awesome. I'm, I was hoping that I'd get him to be in our gym a little bit more, but uh, he still helps out with the guys he's been working with, like Josh Emmett and Darren Elkins, and, and we've got a great relationship. So, um, yeah, he was, a, he was a skilled guy. Another guy who had a scare and decided, you know what, I don't want to take a risk with my body. And it makes sense. Have you ever experienced? I asked this for Max because you know Max says he doesn't spar, which is great. Yeah. But, you know, you've seen some of Max's fights. Even when he wins, sometimes, man, they're like they're just yeah. trench warfare. Yeah. Have you ever experienced? And I know it's a sensitive question, so I don't mean yeah. to like. You ever had any neurological issues? I don't mean like in a fight itself, but after the fight. Um, not no, and it, and I'm kind of the opposite of Max. You don't see me in a lot of, like nasty, you know. If you can think back, there's never been like, you know, a a big like where I feel like I've lost. <laughs> lost brain cells and years off my life per se but um sparring is and training is the hard part you know you do years and years and years of that i feel like i've definitely questioned like hey am i going to have some sort of issues in the past like like i've heard people that are slurring their words and stuff yeah. and that i can tell have some sort of issues boxers and people that have that type of style and so i've asked i'm like hey am i <laughs> like Am I talking all right? You sound like, lucid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, you yeah. beat the game in, in a few different ways, but but you've certainly beat the game in that regard. Yeah, and, and and so 
for me, I feel like I have a lot on my plate a lot of the time, so I, I am a little forgetful. And I don't know if that's from being hit in the head or that's from having a ton <laughs> that, of stuff on your plate. That's just from being 40. Yeah, at our age, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's That's inevitable. just being 40. There's yeah. nothing else to that. Because I've been hit in the head. I did the exact same yeah. shit. You and know? The, the other thing that's really hard for me is like, because people know where I'm at. So I can get bombarded throughout the whole day. So, you know, you can only have so many things on your conscious mind at a time. I think it's like seven for the average person. Like if I'm trying to do me and I'm getting bar like a barrage of people like in my face with their issues... Like, I need to, like, just close myself in a room sometimes. Otherwise, it's like, it's like, yeah. But we got to, I want to ask one, about one more fighter in the stable. That I, okay, then I got to play the hits, man. I got to be right. favor on the couch. Yeah. What are you trying to do One to more. Me, bro? Right. Josh Emmett. Yeah. Josh Emmett. Big win over Calvin Cater. He's had a few big wins. But, of course, that was one, again, at the time of this recording, the most recent one. Um, I will say, 37 years of age, he's an absolute hammer. His power is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, he's taken a lot of damage. You know, that Jeremy Stevens fight, messing up. The, his yeah. gums and nerve tough endings. Shit, dude. He must be tough. What, what is? I, I can see who Josh Emmett is as an observer watching what he does. Yeah. But knowing him more intimately, what can you say about him to that effect? Man, Josh Emmett, it's like hard to get a paragraph out of him in a, in a long conversation. He's just so quiet, keeps himself, and just he's got a real chip on his shoulder. He feels like, you know... He, he should have had more opportunities earlier, and I agree. Because of the way he fights and the power in his hands and everything else, he's had some major, major uh, setbacks, even before he was in the UFC. And it took him forever to get to the UFC. I right. was, he's another guy. I can go back to emails from 2011 where I'm trying to get him in. You know, he's, hey, he's 6-0, and he's 7-0, and he's 8-0, and he's 9-0, and he's 10-0 over a span of years, and him not getting his call. And I don't know if it's because he's quiet or what the deal is, um, because there's big stints in between his fights on the activity level. But um, he's actually had a lot less damage in the practice scenario than a guy like myself or, or guys that have been healthy the whole time through. You know, mm. I've had 46 fights. He's had a handle of fights. You know, I had, I had 40, 40, 44 fights by the time I was 37. And he's had however many, you know. And then, I, and then I trained all the way through, never took a break at all. You know, I never I mean, took dude, a your longevity is sick. I mean, it's, it's sick. But, but, but Josh, he's been on that same path, but he's been training smarter for longer. And then he's had fewer fights. But when his fights go down, I mean, it's, yeah. it's power and explosion. And he's had some, some bad breaks in his hands and, and the few things on his head with... You know, that, that one where he had his face crushed was just it's heartbreaking. the Jeremy Stevens fight. The Jeremy Stevens fight. It was bad, and, and it was, in my opinion, a legal need. Yep. Learning to some, some after the, you know, unnecessary blows, and I'm like, didn't need to happen, you know? And he was, he already had a knockdown on Jeremy Stevens that way, so that, that fight puts him in the title contention that, right there. Dude, even as win over Shane Burgos, he had to empty the tank. Like, yeah. that was a all-in win right there. About, how about Holtzman? Holtzman, and, I mean, that... that, that uh, oh, hot sauce, Scott Holtzman. Hot sauce, yeah. Holtzman. Dude, that was a friggin' war in Sacramento, and Holtzman's no joke. And that kind of like, that was like a uh, who-moves-on kind of scenario, but those yeah. guys were pretty damn even, and it just came down to... To willpower and, and being a little bit better on the day. You think the K? I mean, it seems like the Cater win is going to get him a title shot. Now we don't know who it's going to be, but it's got to get him a title shot. It's the best shot. position he's ever been in. It's the best position he's ever been in. But I mean, why not? It's like, and I was a human development major, and they always talk about 
Like if you're going to be a, going to be a teacher, the quiet kid gets overlooked a lot. It's always the mouth that's talking and the people that kid has trouble or whatever. Like the good quiet kid just doesn't get as much attention, doesn't get as much nurturing and and as an as somebody that's in a role to develop humans, you have to give that person their time. But in the promotion game, they get overlooked. It's fucked up. You know, it's, it's yeah. his time. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I, I got a Uriah Faber here. I got to play the hits with the California kid. Take me back to 2016, three months before you end up getting the trilogy with Dom Cruz at UFC 199. The phone rings and they're like, yo, RDA's hurt. Connor needs a dance partner for UFC 196. Oh, yeah. It came down to you and Nate Diaz. Yeah. What, what was that phone interaction like and how bad did you want that fight in that moment? Oh, man, I wanted that fight. Not because I, don't, I dislike Connor. I actually love Connor. Like, we have hilarious conversations on DM all the time. He's a riot. But that's the fight, you know? And he knows that. I know that. That was, that was the fight for me. And so Dana's like, hey, kid, I know you. I told you you weren't going to get this fight, but we need you to step in. And this is at 55s. I'm a 35-pounder. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, <laughs> let's do it. And, uh, and so then he's like, okay, okay, let me see. And I go, what's going on? Like, he goes, you're, you're our guy, and like, blah, blah. And he's, he's like blowing smoke. And I go, all right, what's going on? I know Frankie. I know Aldo. I know uh, Pettis. I know Cowboy. I know, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I know Nate Diaz. Um, so I, I, I start doing some research. And Frankie Edgar was injured. Uh, Pettis was coming off a lot, no, uh, Cowboy was coming off a loss, a loss to RDA, and so Connor said, I'm not fighting him off a loss. Um, Pettis had been injured as well, or he was on a, he was on a skid. He was on a, a couple fight skid. Mm-hmm. Um, that was around when Aldo, RDA knocked him out. Aldo didn't want the fight, and then Nate Diaz told him to fuck off because they wanted him to <laughs> extend his, his contract. And I'm buddies with all these guys. Like That's one of my value, valuable traits is I can get to get to anyone and find out what's going on. And so all those guys are out, and Dana's like, you're the guy. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's why I'm the guy at the moment. They go up two weight classes and fight. and then. Uh, so why'd you lose it? How'd you not get it? So then they go back to Nate. So Nate says, F you, hangs up on him because they wanted <laughs> him to extend his, they wanted to extend his contract from 40 and 40. They wanted to give him like 50 and 50 on like a seven fight deal or yeah, something, no. you know? And he was getting so drastically underpaid. And, uh, and so... Then they're like, you know, they're going to pay him a million dollars, but, but extend his contract. And then, uh, and then Connor says, 
I'm, 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 I want Diaz. Connor made the call. He didn't want to fight me. Like we're kind of friends too, you know. And I'm coming up two weight classes. He's got nothing to loot, nothing to win there. His only losses are submissions. I've got the most submissions at the time in in UFC, WC, and and uh, Pride combined. You know, me and Nogueira were tied for it at the time. And so he said he wanted Nate, and so they had to go back. And because Connor wanted Nate, oh, they had to go pay uh, Nate. And Nate made out like a bandit on he that. Did, he I was did. there the whole time on the, like. Because I talked to Nate and uh, I knew the whole, the whole shebang and Lloyd, who's actually, you know, my partner at the Vayner Group, uh, who's helping with Figgy and all my guys. He's the one that did that deal with Nate and and Connor. Not bad, not bad. Yeah. Um, look, you would have been up at fifty-five. I think people would would assume it's more likely that Connor would have stopped you, but. He imploded that night against Nate anyway, so there were ways to blow up that Death Star. How would you have approached that fight? I mean, the one thing that would have been an advantage for me, and it speed. happens all the time, is speed. I mean, I used to have the worst trouble with Joseph Benavidez because he was so friggin' fast. He was my hardest sparring partner. I go with Danny Castillo, and I go with you know, Justin Buckles at those times and, and uh, other 55-pounders, and I would have an easier time with them than I would with Joseph because Joseph was so fast. Yeah. The other thing would be, uh, if you saw Chad take Connor down, Chad broke his, broke his hand on the first punch on ground and pound uh, when he fought Connor. Mm. Damn. Uh, in that fight. Yeah. yeah, but Chad took him down like that. And, uh, and so I would have tried to use speed and then do everything to get it to the ground. Because, I mean, Connor hits like a truck, obviously, and he's got precision and he's... He's a big guy. Connor's been too successful, right? I mean, he's gotten so good. He's gotten so many options. He doesn't have to do jack shit, especially with all the alcohol yeah. money he's made. You know? Yeah. Do you think he comes back? What do you think? I, I know think he says so. he wants to, but like, what are you gonna? He's stupid wealthy. Look, when I retired, when I retired from fighting, I found myself in practice every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's built a habit, and he's got an internal. That you don't fight for money. I mean, you could say you're fighting for money or whatnot. The guys that are fighting for money have very short careers. He's got an internal desire to sh show that he's the baddest guy on the planet. Um, now, whether he's been cushioned up a little bit because of all the, the perks that he has from being the wealthiest athlete in the world at this point, or for, for that one year at least, um, who knows? But he's still, that doesn't change who you are. Or you think you're the baddest dude, you know, that's like an internal thing. Um, so I think he probably will fight. Yeah. 170? I think he should fight 55. I mean, he looks jacked right now. He looks huge. Yeah, he looks huge. Oh, 170. You think he comes but, back to a title fight? I don't know about that. Probably not. But, I mean, yeah, I mean if like he like wants Tony, it. Like a Tony Ferguson, like that type of match? If somebody has the title that he's interested in, yeah. But he doesn't, he's not well, about the title as much fight. anymore. I think he wants the bigger fights, you know, which I don't blame him. Like, those are the ones that are going to get him paid because he, get, he gets a cut of everything, you know? Also, like, do you, well, do you think it's the Diaz trilogy? Do you think we see a trilogy with them? That'd be great for both those guys. I Max hope so. rematch. Max rematch is going to happen. Max rematch it's is there, happen. too. He's got a lot of irons on the fire. He can go to the Dustin Poirier. Oh, he can go to Mas Masvidal wants him back. Masvidal wants a piece of him. They all kind of want a piece I think of Masvidal and, and Connor would be a good one because, uh, you know, Connor's gotten a lot bigger and... and they're both sluggers, and yeah, I think it'd be, that'd be a good one. Well, you reflect on your entire journey in MMA from fighter, and you've done 
clothing and you've done now management and everything else in between. It's been a hell of a journey. I wonder, like, is there a singular way you think about like what it takes to succeed in MMA? Like, what is what is what is the truth of that push? Um, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, success is a pretty internal thing. Like, where are you happy and content? And I've talked to guys that are pretty happy and content, like where they're at. So that that's a big win, you know, being happy with where you're at. Um, but for success, I would say. Like, are you asking for what is the measure of success or, or how do you get success? How is it possible that you, there must be something A, about you, but B, about what you understand about the industry that you have navigated so successfully with so many different hats on? That's um, what I'm saying. You know, for, for, that, for that kind of thing, I would say, first off, I'm a people person and I try not to, to have enemies unless they, like, choose me, you know? Even Dominic Cruz, I feel like he always chose me as an, an enemy and at this point we're... We're, we're cool. Um, and I you know, have, have a, a, a short memory when it comes to that kind of stuff. I think working extremely, extremely hard is step number one. I don't play video games. I don't <laughs> like do all the leisure shit. I, you don't when vape I, is what when you're I saying. A, you I don't vape. vape. I, don't, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't chill. Like I'm, I'm like go mode. Like I try to squeeze as much into my day as possible. And, um, and then the, 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 the number one ingredient for anybody's success anywhere, you guys and everyone, is just how big are you thinking? Like so many people are, are afraid or ignorant to thinking big. They just don't understand all that they can do, you know? You can do, a, you can do a lot and you can accomplish a lot and people are not thinking big enough. And I've met people of all different walks, self-made billionaires and, and uh, you know, actors and athletes and, and, you know, kids on their fighting cancer, that on their deathbed, on their pre, before puberty, it's like, you know, the, the mind is the key. It, you got to believe and then you have to not be deterred on all the negative stuff because there's going to be negative stuff over and over again. You're not going to not be anxious or not be uh, scared or feel like everyone's against you or, uh, you know, feel like it couldn't get any worse, you know. That shit is happening for sure. Just like if you're in a fight, you're gonna get hit. Uh, so you got this surfer zen thing that kind of just regulates you, right? It writes you, and you and you just flow. I mean, what what other choice do we have? You're either dead or you're trying. You know. Well, you can do what I do, which is just live anxiety ridden and paranoid at all times. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you're having success. A little bit. Right? You're yeah, here today. Right. You got your beautiful daughter. Like, it's true. It's like true. you're rolling, dude. You met me. Luke. I've got yeah. this. I've got this. Just absolutely yeah. Jamoke I'm stuck with. But uh, he's he's pretty good too. So. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking yeah, and, about. And I try not to put a value on material things. Like, I'm like, you know, like I try not to think about money, um, but I'm always trying to make fun ways to where I can have some so I can keep doing what I want. And that's been a big key. Like, I see people that focus on this. And I, there's been times when I've been, you know, I never had huge paydays for most of my career. It was like, you know, there's been times where I've been pressed for cash and whatnot, and you just don't worry, just keep going, right? But you so, had a knack for, even as a fighter in the second half of your career, finding your way back into title fights. And that's yeah. a skill on top of also being really good enough to justify yeah. it. Like, you seem to maneuvered your career in, like, a... Like, I always look at Sugar Ray Leonard on the boxing side and say, like, you know, him, Floyd, like, those guys beat the game. They came out of this death trap of an industry and are, like, better off for it and are now doing all these things. 
you even had that kind of mojo, you know, while still an yeah, active early fighter. On. Yeah. Yeah, early well, yeah, on. because people... You slithered well. I don't I guess, know how many know? times in Ariel, I always make fun of Ariel for this. I'm like, how many times? I'm like, is this it? Is it over? And I'm like, why would it be over? Like, you've had two title shots. It's like, yeah, I was, I was in the Super Bowl, and I lost the Super Bowl. Like, if you aren't the reporter of the year, are you going to quit? She took second. Like, come on. Like, what is the logic that. behind we that? We all the podcasts. You know? know so, like, like, honestly, it's, like, just completely about interpretation on things. It's, like, people just, how are they taking things in and interpreting them is so different. And when you can just stick to what you want to believe, I think that's the key. Delu- uh, two things. I always say this, and I started, like, pointing this out. Two things that are great that people put a bad rap on. One is making excuses. I'm great at making excuses. Why, I, the, why did I lose to Dominic Cruz on 2011? Well, the judges were looking at the wrong crap, in, in my opinion. That's my excuse. Uh, had I had a more output, then hopefully they would have gone my way, meaning throw more punches uh, like in a volume sense. Right? You've got to make excuses that you can fix. Right. If if you can make an excuse that you can fix, like, well, shit, he, you know, he threw this many more punches than I do. Okay. Well, I can fix that. I can try to throw that many punches or more, and then you can time it yeah. and do that. You know, if if you have beliefs that and excuses that you can't fix, those are bad. The second thing is being delusional. Some of the Connor's delusional. That dude's delusional, but it panned out. Right. It, <laughs> It really did. The magic somehow made yeah, that delusional. Yeah, out. And I've met, real, yeah. uh, you know, even like a Gary V, who's who's a guy that when I when I first started Gary, seeing Gary V's stuff on on um, Instagram, he had a little bit fewer followers than I did. And now he's at like 11 million. He made all his focus on growing his social media uh, outreach, and he wrote a book about it, and he's used it to, you know, has a marketing company, has all these different brands that have built off of that, and people pay him to do this and do that. And that's where he set his focus, but he just believed it, you know? And Joseph Benavides, I remember when he first came down uh, and he, he used me as an example of like, hey, you're, he goes, you're the guy. And I was, I was getting paid, when he, when he moved down, I think I was getting paid maybe 4,000 and 4,000 to shit fight. And he's like, Jesus. you're the biggest name guy in the sport for the lightweights. That's what I want to do. And I'm thinking, dude, I'm making like 8,000 bucks, you know? every four months, you know, like... Uh, and facing killers, dude. But, you, yeah. you face, like... Yeah. Your WEC run is fucking killers across yeah. the board. Like, and, it's wild, man, to look back at that. And also, you know, to speak to your longevity, two of my favorite fighters as a fan along that time, Mike Thomas Brown, uh, Baron Barrow, they beat you, then they just disappeared. And yeah. then you just kept going more title fights after that. So it's yeah. like you were in big fights, and even if you didn't win it, yeah. because you always bounced back and because you always sought out another big name, you got that respect along with it. You know, you didn't have to be a, a full-time brawler to get that respect. You got that respect in the way that you sort of handled yourself. So. Well, th- yeah, just stay in the game. I mean, people quit early. I talk about that all the time, too. I, you, know, uh, you know, I wasn't the best high school wrestler. I did pretty good, and then I went on. I was top 12 in the state in California. Then I went on with the same mentality, work ethic, and I was top 12 in the nation. I took second at University Nationals. And then guys that I beat or lost to got into MMA for a little bit, and then they petered out, but I stayed there 20 years, you know? If I fight this year, that'd be 20 years as a combat athlete. And that doesn't include 
my wrestling. That's just as a professional mixed martial artist. So that's kind of tempting. I don't know. And if you would have beat Jan, you would have fought for a title in your next fight. I mean, it's yeah. wild. And I wanted you were that to fight close Jan. again, dude. I, mean, it's... I know. That's, and that's, that's, those are the risks you take. You know, those are the risks you take. Well, I got to tell you, you've taken a lot of risks, but a lot of them have paid off, man. You have done so well for Including yourself. Including sitting on this couch. Right. Hey, big today was a big day. <laughs> today was a big day. Today I mean, this a is a milestone day. you <laughs> won't soon forget. <laughs> I was like, Uriah, was this your number in your phone? Because so, we had a whole miscommunication. And uh, I was like, no, I have actually never had that number. I was like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, never had no, a 702. I know we've talked before, though. We've talked, I've, had, I've had you on every version of every show <laughs> yeah, I've ever had. Yeah. We, yeah, I remember you did a meet and greet one time for an old Mid-Atlantic uh, Mid promotion. Remember UWC back in the aughts? Uh -huh. And you came out there. We talked all the time back then too I've, I've been covering your career for a long time but, yeah absolutely uh, and thank you for making yourself accessible but seriously in all, in all seriousness for a guy who's seen everything from all the way from gladiator challenge to wc man. and then everything else dude you it's you are not relevant by accident it is not an accident well i appreciate that so we appreciate you making some time for us yeah. and we'll do this again in 20 years we'll you be able to shit you'll still look the same buy this man's so. products what do we got coming up yeah we had cali acai so if you've heard of Trifecta Nutrition, that's the business that I'm they, involved They ship you the meals. They ship you meals directly, yep. and it's the best food. My kids are built on that stuff. Um, I'm going to do the same thing with the acai. Uh, not only are we going to be in a lot of you know, mom-and-pop places for, for jiu-jitsu and gyms, etc., but we're going to be able to ship the best acai on the planet to you directly, so that's coming soon. And then, uh, as you know, we have... All these fighters coming up, so check us out there. We've we've got a great stable of fighters that that are really making a name for themselves on their own, which I love. You'll make a Green Rush yeah. sequel, bro. Make us. And we got movies coming too. So. Make that make a sequel of that shit, right? <laughs> that was that was just that's the worst movie we're ever gonna make, but it was still great. I love it. Yeah, love it was it. really great. Congratulations, thank you for thank your time. You. Uriah Faber, ladies and gentlemen. Uriah. Faber. Hey, there he is. We did it.